Hello, everybody. Welcome to Spirit Matters, the podcast and the YouTube channel found at uh, spiritmatterstalk.com and the Spirit Matters Talk YouTube channel. Uh, we invite you to subscribe. It's free. <laughs> and we invite you to uh, peruse our archive, which has somewhere close to 300 interviews with remarkable spiritual teachers and leaders, such as today's guest. We're very happy to have back with us Mark Nepo. Mark, uh, as many of you know, is a poet, a philosopher. He's been a uh, beloved, I should say, and inspiring spiritual teacher for more than 40 years now, a best-selling author of uh, familiar titles such as The Book of Awakening and more together than alone and drinking from the river of light. He's appeared several times on Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul Sunday. And more impressive even, he's been on Spirit Matters <laughs> twice before. And now he's back with another book in his prolific writing career, a very timely one, I should say, called Surviving Storms, Finding the Strength to Meet Adversity. Mark, welcome back. It's good to uh -oh. see you. Thank you. It's great to be back with you. I always enjoy where we go together. Okay. Um, let's, um, first I'll, I'll because you've been on the show before and because uh, we always ask our guests uh, to uh, relate to our audience something of their spiritual journey and their past, I would invite our listeners to go to the previous recorded uh, shows with you in the archive if they want to know more about that. But today we can jump right in. I'll let you bring up your journey if you know to the extent it's relevant, but let's sure. let's jump right into the new book, Surviving Storms. Why this book? Why now? Well, I, I think and, and actually I can share something from my journey that, that really speaks to the opening of this book is that you know, I, I feel that when, when I was going through my camp, I'm now 71, and uh, when I was in my 30s, as you know, I almost died from a rare form of lymphoma. And when the pandemic came upon us, and I actually you know, heard a lot of other people speak about how their personal uh, difficult journeys would come back to them. And, and something in mine did too, you know, there was a moment when I was diagnosed, first diagnosed with this rare, this strange lymphoma that was growing in my skull bone. And you know, and I had a doctor tell me, you have cancer. And other than being terrified and, uh, you know, you must have the wrong folder. Can you double check? <laughs> but I realized that when I left that appointment, the door back to life as I had known it was gone. There was no way back to life before that appointment. The old world 
was gone. And I feel the pandemic has done that to humanity. Mm. The old world is gone as much as we bemoan it, as much as there are parts of our society that want to deny it or are angry about it. Or The only way forward is to love each other forward, which requires some of the choice points that every generation has had to face, like seeing things as they are, choosing love over fear, uh, welcoming things beyond what we already know. And so every generation uh, has its struggles. And for us, these are the ones right now. But, you know, in our parents' generation, it was World War II. Uh, every, and so it's our turn. It's our turn. What are we going to do here? And, and so this book tries to, in my own kind of confusing attempt of, to try to understand how did we get where we are this time? But then there are all these eternal paths and tools and practices that have always been available and they're not abstract. They're real and they're ready now for us to pick up and use to apply to the problems of our age. And, you know, I, as you know, I, I mean, I start the book with this metaphor from the redwood trees out, out in the, the Northwest. And, um, you know, they're enormous, you, you know, they're, they're hot, could be a hundred foot in diameter. They're hundreds of, some are a thousand years old. And even with climate change, they may be damaged, but I doubt they would be uprooted. And that's because their roots are strong and connected and their trunks are wide and this is why we this is why spirit matters this is why we need a personal spiritual practice that can be drawn from whatever combination of things is authentic to every single person so that we can strengthen our roots connect to each other widen our trunks to endure and survive the storms of our time very good um you went uh, where I was going to go next, and, and maybe I can draw you out a little bit more. One of your early chapters uh, is essentially a long extended metaphor about storms, where you bring in uh, literal storms, the kind of weather yeah. events that we're familiar with, with the, with the term, and describe in in quite uh impressive uh i don't know what the science would be but uh, <laughs> uh meteorological uh, detail i guess and uh what a storm is and uh the various kinds and you then uh use it as a metaphor for the kind of upheavals we experience in life um, and it's a useful metaphor. Could you could you uh, build on that a bit for sure. us? Sure. And you know, it's always amazing to me that when we look at anything, there's a lesson there that's transferable. And and so you know, yes, we literal storms with climate change, but personal storms and cultural storms and interpersonal storms and storms of the spirit in our own confusion and dark night of the soul. So so literal storms hold. You know, literal storms come happen because of a, a disequality or an inequality of pressure and there is turbulent air and this creates um 
all kinds of, as we know, effects that that happen to us and the way that storms work and, and some of the paradoxes that are inherent in all storms is that every storm has a very calm center. Every storm, and, then, and I refer to there, there's an ancient, or in the 14th century, which is ancient enough, but the, the 14th century Japanese uh, saying that says at the center of every storm or tempest is a navel or a center through which a gull can fly in silence. And there is paradoxically, if we can get through the agitation, the conflict, the turbulence to the center, we will find our way under the storm. We will find each other there. And again, this has been perennial and it's our turn to figure out how to do that, even within a, a storm within our own personhood, with our own conflict. How do we, how do we through spirit, through being, how do we get to that center? And, and there's a second powerful challenge always in all kinds of storms. And this is captured by the beautiful haiku by the, the Masahide. And, and Masahide was such an interesting character in Japan in, in 1600s, because he was a well-experienced samurai who, who put down his, laid his sword down permanently walked away from the life of a samurai to go study with Basho to become a poet. God, I would have loved to interview that guy. Yeah. <laughs> what, what happened? What went on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he, he wound up with this amazing haiku that, that said, you know, my barn having burned to the ground, I can see the moon more completely. And in those lines, yeah. it's a great challenge of all storms and how to survive storms that there's no minimizing the barn being burned. That is lost. That, that is a journey all into itself. So not to reframe it and say, oh, well, that's all right, because I can see more. No, that, that's important. And once that barn has been burned to the ground, there is a vastness that has always been there that is suddenly revealed. And so one of the things is, how do we face the, the wreckage that storm, the havoc that storms create, and never lose sight of what is now revealed to us, of what is now revealed to us? When I read that haiku, um, uh, it's it's masterful, a uh, bit of... Uh, concise poetry which is what a haiku should be but um it occurred to me you know it, it's so rich in meaning and and the easy takeaway is oh look for the positive in the thing but you can't do that unless you first accept that the barn burned down absolutely absolutely and that that is part of the transformative journey for all of us and and we can get very you know we can get stuck in the barn burning down and never never look to the sky or or we can try to skip over the pain of having the barn burned or whatever that represents and it is that they're co-joined you know there's a great um this wonderful thing that oscar wilde wrote this prose poem 
probably a hundred years before we had the term. Uh, it was called The Artist. He wrote it in 1894. And, and the, I can't recite it, but I can tell you about it because it's so imprinted on my heart. That has what we're talking about so essentially at, at, at the very heart of it. So in this very, very brief story called The Artist, it's about a sculptor who um, he's moved to create a sculpture of bronze that represents the peace that abides in every moment. Mm. There's only one problem. There's no more bronze left in the world. <laughs> so he, he looks around, he thinks, and he says, wait a minute, there is one statue of bronze he knows of that he himself created that's on, as a, on the gravesite of his best friend who died, who he lost. And just the thought of it bring, brings him to tears. And, and he goes and visits the grave then, moved again, and he, and he goes through the entire life of their friendship and how close they were and the loss and in his tears. And that statue that he built out of bronze, there is the sorrow that endures forever. Uh -huh. And then he takes the sorrow that endures forever. He takes the very statue back to his foundry and melts it. And out of the sorrow that endures forever, he fashions the peace that abides in every moment. Oh. More to Oscar Wilde than people oh. imagine. It's profound. And if that's not profound enough, where the bronze? Where the yeah. bronze? And so every person alive, not just today, at some point, this is archetypal. We all, the only peace that lasts and abides is the peace. Not that we turn from sorrow to peace, that is fashioned out of the sorrow that endures forever. And no one knows how to do this, but here we are. Every generation, we have to learn how. We have to choose that. And, and that's so profound. And this is, this is essential in the journey of surviving storms. And, and one, you know, another thing about about storms themselves that's profound is that storms are created out of instability and they dissolve once the forces that ground us are greater than the forces that incite us. This is literally, you know, storms are physically described that they start to dissolve when the, the turbulent air is not as strong as the grounding air. Wow. And so we are here we are in our society now we need to find what grounds us more than what's incites us and one more thing that was just blew me away about about storms one of the great uh, destructive forces of storms is, of course, you know cloud to ground lightning. And that is literally described as when two charged energy centers compete with each other for space and the conflict creates lightning which will destroy anything in its path we now uh, the insurrection of january 6th was a social charged pocket of, of energy storm energy that created social lightning and we have these pockets everywhere 
And, and one of the things I discovered there, which I mentioned is in, in, back in the Middle Ages, there were these kind of mystical alchemical uh, people running around called Tempestari. And they were, they had the capacity, the magical ability to create storms and dissolve them. Hmm. Well, we got, we got enough people creating storms. We need, where are the modern Tempestari to dissolve them? And so, you know, I try to explore in the book just all the, the always available resources to try to meet the form of storms we are facing today. You know, when I, I was, uh, <clears throat> this sounds self-serving, but I had a, I published a book uh, early in the pandemic that was um, written before that also was addressing um, crazy times. And it occurred to me when I was doing that, that, Life can be crazy. There can be a storm in any of our lives at any time. Times are, times are good and then something happens. This is, you know, spirituality 101 that <laughs> everything is impermanent. Even, you know, the best of times, you know, life is going to, you know, some karma is going to catch up and, and cause, cause a storm. Um, that said, collectively, we're in strange times, and you, uh, you, you do not gloss over that. It, it, it's central to the to your book, and you open with uh, an analysis of what you call uh, fault lines. So let's let's hear uh, from you what. Um, the sort of diagnosis that, you know, yeah. before, before you offer, you know, the prescriptive stuff. Like, sure. sure. So, and this is just my, you know, like everyone, I have just been baffled and just so troubled by where we are to the, the particular form of crisis we find ourselves in. And it's been almost a perfect, a convergence of fault lines that as I looked at this from many angles, you know, I started to see this convergence of what I was calling fault lines that goes all the way back to the Industrial Revolution. And, and so the first is, is this notion of a loss of relationship, you know, that, that and, and, and uh, one of the people who really was so insightful about this was Karl Marx. And, you know, Karl Marx often gets discarded, uh, gets a bad rap because, you know, Marx didn't create Marxism, you know, <laughs> uh, dictators did and um but he has he had tremendous insight so you know at the turn of the uh that the industrial revolution actually in 1844 he was writing and he was seeing and he didn't say do away with progress but what he noticed was this industrial revolution was going to take work out of the home out of the farm out of so now for the first time people were working and living in two different places and he foresaw that that labor would also start to be broken into parts and so he foresaw that you know people this is going to pull people away from their basic human nature 
So he didn't say do away with progress. He said, how can we get take progress, but we're going to have to deal with this. And he foresaw that if you have enough individuals that are divorced from their basic human nature, that you will have an alien nation. And he's the one who coined the term alienation. And this, and he actually foresaw therapists, the first generation of therapists, as alienists, people who would repair people to the wholeness and depth of their basic human nature. And we are sorely in need of that today. I feel one of the things that is so, it seems so simple, but I think that because of these fault lines, and I'll get into a few more, but there are so many people who have lost their direct connection to life. And therefore, their their direct reverence of life. You know, one of the things that so struck me in witnessing for, through TV the insurrection of January sixth a few years ago was um, here were people being barbarically violent, and yet so many seemed dissociated. They were actually taking pictures of themselves as if they were in a video game. And they had lost their connection, whatever the cause, whatever doesn't matter. They had lost their reverence of life and their direct connection of life. And so some of the other things that have put us in this, this pocket of, of being alienated from our human nature, one, one is the, the dissolution, the dissolving of reality. That this, you know, this, this has taken place over the last 70 years with the beginning of reality TV, which is anything but real where people were have been invited to participate in quotes vicariously even vote as if that will give them a connection to other human beings and so people expend all this energy and emotional energy and and uh and then when the tv goes off there is no relationship for it they're still alone and, you know, it's interesting, if you, we look back in time, the, the Roman Colosseum, that was deliberately created to dissipate potential rebellion. That was deliberately created saying, you know, if we give these people, you know, watch people get torn apart, these violent things, gladiators, lions, they'll expend all their energy so that when they get back home, they won't have any, any energy left. To, mm. to rebel for a better life. Bread and circuses, or yeah. Now this this is kind of I don't think anybody deliberately planned this in our society, but it is an inadvertent virtual coliseum that has dissipated and people are left. Now you, you add to this 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 incredible bubble of social media, where through pure greed. Um, these logarithms, and I refer to an amazing documentary, The Social Dilemma, which I refer people to, that I just couldn't believe, you know, how everyone is, is put in their very personalized bubble. You know, and I remember in that documentary, they said, if you, there's no common ground of reality. So a term like climate change, if you're a progressive uh, person, that will be defined as an existential crisis. But if you are a conservative person, it will be defined as a hoax. Right. So without a direct connection to life, 
being broken from our human nature, being in these bubbles, there is no ground for what is a common agreed upon reality. You know, in a very simple way, like if, if you put your hand in the water, you don't need me to tell you it's wet. We know, we know, we know what pain is, we know what love is, we know what trust is, we know what betrayal is, and there is a common agreed upon reality that we somehow need to regain. And I think through, um, I mean, I don't know how exactly, but I do think throughout the generations, if the whole, you know, Mother Teresa said that courage is doing small things with love. Mm-hmm. And as overwhelming as all this is, we have to, you know, this is where I talk about the purpose of goodness, um, which, you know, remarkably, this this is a chapter, and this was triggered by reading uh, a book by Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, our wonderful contemporary physicist, and and in in there he um, he talks about his the camp that he's in of physicists and their guess as to how the universe came into being, which is that in the very beginning there was matter photons and antimatter hadrons, and when there was a billion and one photons and a billion hadrons, just one more. Boom, the universe came into being. And he talks about how if the Earth had settled in its orbit a little closer to the sun, all the water and the oceans would have evaporated. We wouldn't be here. Or if it was a little farther, it would have frozen. We wouldn't be here. And I was struck by, boy, we're just here by such a small gesture. And then I think I was out doing errands. I think I was waiting in the line at the pharmacy, you know, when all of a sudden it hit me. This is not a description of the creation of the universe this is a description of the ongoing creation that every day we are here life continues by the one photon the one gesture of goodness and love and kindness that keeps the world going that's the purpose of goodness and and we humbly don't know which gesture it is so you know if you see someone fall down in the parking lot of the grocery store and you help them up and gather their groceries, that might be the one photon that keeps the universe going today. Wow. I was intrigued by that chapter title and I was going to ask you about it. So thank you for that. And uh, as a slight digression, but I did Neil deGrasse Tyson explain where the hadron came from no i i could I, <laughs> I mean, he might if we got him he might be able to tell us but i didn't i didn't see that there and this was from his book astrophysics yeah. for people in a hurry which it's anything you know it's it's a wonderfully dense and amazing book i know but every time i hear about the origin of the universe there's something that preceded it that made the universe necessary and <laughs> yeah it, there's a little inconsistency there but um thank you for that so uh, there's something in the uh in the ancient hebrew uh texts or jewish philosophy uh that's very similar uh, that we each have a, a a responsibility to add something, to do something to make the world whole. Um, 
and and what you're so what you're calling uh, the purpose of goodness which as you yes. say can take many forms uh is more necessary you're saying well than I think, we might think yes of. it's it's very necessary and i think that you know we all i mean one of the Val, hard values, you know, if we look at the pandemic as having burned a barn down to go back to Masahide, then one of the things we're seeing more clearly and feeling more clearly is our direct connection again to to humanity and to things and to each other. And that, um, and so I do think that, you know, where things are always coming together and falling apart, that that's the nature it's almost like a spiritual law of physics, even beyond a, uh, a physical one. You were talking about it in terms of karma and earlier. And, um, but they're always happening at the same time. Mm. And so we don't need you know, a good news channel. We need a whole W-H-O-L-E news channel because when things come together, they're quiet. When things fall apart, they make a lot of noise. And I think we are in the modern world addicted to the noise of things falling apart. Mm. So things are happening beautifully at the same time, but we're not, it takes more effort to hear and see how things are coming together. You know, when I get a book, um, especially if I don't have time to read it start to finish, <clears throat> I look at the table of contents and I'm always pleased when I find intriguing or and clever chapter titles, and you're an expert at that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, I I mean it because uh, as a as a fellow author, I know how difficult it is to come up with good chapter <laughs> titles, and and um, and so I was drawn to some of the chapter titles which I found intriguing, and one of them I want to at least one I want to ask you about because. Um, I got the reference immediately because I'm a big Leonard Cohen fan. Yeah. But you have a chapter called A Broken Hallelujah. And obviously referring to yes. that famous song that's been covered by more people than probably anything but White Christmas or something. <laughs> um, so I'm intrigued. Uh, and I'm sure... I, many of our listeners are as well. Why that uh, chapter title and why focus on that song and what yeah, do you make of it? It's a yeah. very enigmatic song. Well, it's and it's so powerful. And, and I, let me mention too that just this, just now as we're recording this, um, you know, I just want to refer people that a new documentary just came out uh, called Hallelujah, Leonard Cohen, ah, yes. a story. And we just saw it, my wife and I, the other night. It is so fantastic and so heart lifting and meaningful and all the things we're talking about. So the broken hallelujah, you know, and um, as I started uh, during the pandemic, you know, we, my wife and I saw another tribute documentary called I'm Your Man, where well, while Leonard Cohen was alive, so many other songwriters sang his yeah. songs and had interviews with him. And I realized like so many things, I've always loved him, but what did I really know about him? You know, I mean, and I dove in and after that and, and, you know, the broken hallelujah, I think what he gets at what discovering who he is and the, the deep 
complete way that he embraced all of life, the difficult and the beautiful, um, that there was so much more going on there, that that song has been actually by many religious traditions that use it, uh, has been watered down yeah. to say, oh, you know, hallelujah literally means praise God, praise to the Lord. And as if like, well, all the difficulty, yeah, praise God, uh, good luck with all the rest of that. And, <laughs> and that's not, you know, from what we can tell, he was speaking that there is this corridor of aliveness between the song of life and the pain of life that everyone is born into. And it, it doesn't, you know, that we're broken open. And, and when we are, grace comes. And it doesn't just come for those who are shiny and have cleaned everything and put everything in its place. It comes, it comes to everybody, uh, whether you're broken to it, whether you fall to it, or you rise to it. And there's this beautiful sense of, there's this also this sense of, of the necessity to praise the forces, mysterious forces of life, regardless if they break you. And, and so an image for that for me is you, know, you could be on a raft at sea and the, 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 the strength of the sea could smash your raft and to drown you or to hurt you. And that's real, just like the barn being- The burned. barn burning down. Is, yeah. But it does not dissipate or minimize the majesty of the sea. And somehow, and I know this, this spoke to me from my own journey of almost dying from cancer in my 30s, is that what we go through is real. And we tend as human beings then to uh, extrapolate and make life an extension of our experience. So if I'm broken, the world's a broken place. If I'm afraid, the world's not a safe place. If, you know, and the mystery and healing quality of of life the unity of life is no what happened to me is real and it's much more than that it's not just that so you know having almost died from cancer you know i i need the company of those who are afraid when i'm afraid but i need the wholeness of everything that's safe to heal i need the company of those who know what it's like to be broken but i need the the strength and resilience of everything that's not broken to heal and so there's this very powerful uh this journey that it's it's the broken hallelujah amen amen yes i'm the barn burned down but my god i can see the moon my god i can see the moon what i really appreciate about your approach having you know, been on my own path for 50 years and been a, a chronicler of sorts of the spiritual scenes, um, very often that kind of um, be thankful, see the positive in different traditions, you know, it's, it's God's will or whatever it might be, is often a kind of um, spiritual spiritualized form of denial yes yes and you're you're counseling us not to fall into that trap and to do both 
Well, it's through, I have, my experience has been, it's through the life of our feelings, through the authenticity, rather than be positive, we are challenged to be authentic. That's mm. the only way we can, can form the peace that abides in every moment out of the sorrow that endures forever. And this is a journey again of, I think it's through our humanity that we inhabit our spirit, not transcending it. And, and you know, the wheel of life, it just doesn't stop. And we have whole philosophies as you're describing too, that, that freeze, you know, so if you freeze on when the wheel of life is up on the top, oh, life's wonderful, don't worry about the rest. But if you freeze on the bottom, oh, it's, it's existential, it's nihilistic, it's horrible. How can you even think that there's something? Well, yes, yes, all things are, I mean, I think the greatest teacher for me at this stage in my life has been that all things are true. All things aren't fair, all things aren't just, but we are challenged through a deeper logic of the spirit to accept and be in conversation with this mysterious truth that all things are true and and you know there's a great story that Leonard Cohen tells uh, in his his own journey that is relevant here that that he he talks about when he first was learning guitar in Montreal and he he witnessed in a park you probably know this yeah the, no I read it in your oh, yeah, <laughs> in that chapter yeah. yeah so the the he there was this amazing street musician who was a master at flamenco guitar. And Leonard Cohen was in all of it. And he finally went up and said, could you teach me some lessons or something? And he agreed. And he, Leonard Cohen was living in his mother's apartment at the time in Montreal. And he brought him back. And, and when he, and the, the musician said, the street musician said, there are six chords that all flamenco music are based on. And I'll teach you those chords. And Leonard Cohen couldn't even make his fingers hold the chords. And this street musician went behind him and gently put his fingers over Leonard's fingers on the guitar. And he had three or four lessons with him. And then he didn't show up. And Leonard went looking for him, only to find that he had taken his life, his own life. And it was so, you know, he had lost connection with those basic chords that are under everything. And this is this is every human being in the spiritual journey, regardless of the storms, regardless of the barns that burn, regardless of the sorrow that endures forever, regardless of the sea that crashes on our raft. Um, we have to stay connected to the cords under everything. And so a question I offer for all of the folks listening, viewing is, is can you describe just journal? Can you describe one reliable truth for you? one chord that exists under all the turbulence that you can return to. And if you can identify that a week later, have a conversation with a friend or loved one about it and ask them, what's such a chord for you? Beautiful. That's, uh, I was going to ask you for uh, some parting advice for our, uh, our listeners and viewers, uh, and you beat me to it. But I have one question I have to ask you, uh, because, and we'll have to be brief, but in addition to perusing tables of contents, I always like looking at dedications. Ah. Who is Grandma Minnie? Oh, Grandma Minnie is my father's mother. I was closer to her than my own mother. And she 
was an incredible force of spirit in my life. I mean, even at a very, very early age, you know, there's a, I have a mythic moment in my youth in Brooklyn in a four apartment building on 23rd and 33rd. And I was in the basement rummaging through things by myself. And I found uh, my grandfather's prayer book. Hmm. And it was like an artifact. It was so used, it was falling apart. And all of a sudden she appeared at the steps with her apron and she came down and very moved that I was touching his thing. He was gone by then. And, um, and she held me and, 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 and said, you know, that, that this was his book. And, and she said to me, you know, you, you are why I came to this country. She said, I love you like life itself. And then she took my little hands in hers and she said, these, my hands, these are the oldest things you own. And she was the first one to ever uh, talk to me soul to soul, even though I was a little boy. Wow. To Aunt Minnie. Yeah. To Grandma Minnie. I Grandma mean. Minnie. Right. Um, Mark, uh, tell our, uh, our uh, companions on this uh, interview what's coming up for you that they can uh, participate in other than reading your uh, yeah thank you books. so a couple of things one is that in september 16 through 18 and these are all on my website marknepo.com um that uh, i'll be teaching the first real weekend from the new book in person and hybrid it's a hybrid event online at the Sophia Institute in Charleston South Carolina that's September 16 through 18 but I'm also which you can find on my website every year in addition to traveling I where I live in Michigan I uh, host a year-long journey for a small group of people no more than 16 in a circle and we come together four weekends over a year around a journey that I design. And we just keep each other company for a year of our lives. And so next year, I'll be next March, I'll be starting two separate small groups. And they're each with different themes. And people can find out more about that at my website, too. Great. Thank you, Mark. And again, the new book, Surviving Storms. Did I get that right? Yeah. Surviving yes. Storms um, is now available. I recommend it highly as I do uh, all of Mark's work. So Mark, thank you so much for being with us. Viewers, listeners, uh, please uh, keep in touch, subscribe, tell your friends about us, write to us, let us know uh, what we're doing well, what, we're, what we could do better. Uh, if you have potential guests for us to interview, let us know. And of course, if you want to help us keep Spirit Matters going, hit the contribute button. <laughs> and as my uh, co absent co-host always likes to point out, we're not a nonprofit, so it's not a tax deductible, but it will be highly appreciated. And that's just as good. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.